Welcome back to episode 53 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. This is a collection of curated discussions for therapists and anyone interested in deep restorative transformation through the lens of relationship. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist. I believe that when you truly see yourself, you create a ripple effect that allows you to be the change you wish to see in the world. And that invites everyone around you to do the same. This is the basis of my signature method, connectfulness. I invite you to make space to see yourself on our shared quest into deeper intimacy, less fear, and more creative, bold action. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. If you've ever felt that your work schedule and your life schedule were at odds with each other, if you've ever felt like you were just getting started when it was time to say time's up, if you just feel in your gut, gosh, I love what I do, but there's gotta be a better way, you're gonna find so much inspiration in this week's episode. This week's guest is Indiana-based marriage and family therapist, Dr. Adam Smithy. A certified Gottman therapist, he specializes in customizing treatments to each couple in a weekend retreat format, helping couples to build, maintain, and repair lasting relationships one weekend at a time. Balancing personal and professional dreams, he's able to relate to and understand the busy couple. He's found a unique way of working with his clients that he says is vastly more efficient than a weekly 45-minute session. Not only that, but his unique structure allows him to also be the stay-at-home parent in his household. He even claims that this unorthodox schedule has improved his marriage. Once you have a listen, I think you'll agree that it makes so much sense. Bold moves really can pay off. Welcome, Adam. Yes, thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for having me today. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. You know, one of the reasons that I was so excited to talk to you in particular is because so much of the work that you do is work that I'm kind of leaning into myself. So there's definitely a school me kind of bent to this conversation today. But I'm also hoping that a lot of our listeners will get a lot out of this. So I want to thank you for being here. Of course, it's my pleasure. Yeah. You know, we were talking before we began recording today a little bit, and so much of the work that you do is done in retreat-style intensive format with couples. And I'd like you to explain a little bit to our listeners about how you do that. You know, it sounds to me like it's a nine-to-five kind of Saturday-Sunday day. And instead of it being over many weeks of, you know, an hour here, an hour there, it's really intensive. You're doing this work all at once and you're doing it with, am I right, one couple at a time? Yes, uh, one couple at a time, typically nine to five on a Saturday and a Sunday. And it just provides such a deeper possibility. You know, Mm -hmm. couples don't have problems 45 minutes at a time and they don't overcome them 45 minutes at a time. And so that model, you know, what insurance really drives us to do doesn't work for me or the clients that find my services valuable. And I was mentioning uh, earlier when we were talking that I like to meet my clients beforehand uh, for about an hour or so just to kind of go over logistics, go over what to expect, um, the, the extensive assessment process that I use. And then we also meet afterwards, after our weekend. And during that time, we create a custom follow-up plan 
because now the two-day retreat is absolutely amazing and we get a lot of work done. And if you consider a typical 45 to 60-minute session, you know, after greetings, payment, and homework, and menial talk, we end up finding that there's between 35 and 40 minutes of actual work. And so using that, we find that I am able to complete around six months' worth of weekly sessions in two days. That's just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. You really get in there and do some really fantastic stuff. What kinds of shifts do you see come out of the work? Oh, we really work a lot on understanding the concept of multiple perspectives and that each person is right. And John Gottman at his workshops, I don't know if you've ever been or your listeners have, but at his workshops, he always tells this rabbi joke mm-hmm. where in some, this masterful uh, rabbi really helps couples and he meets one person at a time, basically says, you know, Mrs. Goldstein, I don't know how you handle it. This is so stressful. You are an amazing woman. You are absolutely right. And then he meets Mr. Goldstein and says, oh my gosh, she must be a bear to live with. I don't know how you do it. You're so strong. You are absolutely right. And then the young apprentice that is there observing the rabbi, he goes, well, a masterful rabbi, you have just met with them both and told them they are both right. How can they be right? And the rabbi says, you know, you're right. And that just speaks volumes to me because each person that's listening to this has a different outlook on what this sounds like right now. Mm. You know, we each have a different reality and that's what I deal with. I deal with realities when we meet for a whole weekend. Yeah. You know, I think I might come into this from a different perspective. I have some Gottman training and I'm leaning a lot into an RLT approach lately by the work of Terry Real. And he has this other statement that he says all the time, which is, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? And I think in many ways, it's a similar kind of bent to the same conversation, which is, yeah, we all have different perspectives. But at the end of the day, staying hard and fast and true to the one that we walked in the door with isn't what's going to help us create a really stable, secure relationship. That's very poetic. I love that. And I very well may steal that as well. So thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us a little bit, let's go backwards a little, we'll we'll come back Mm -hmm. to the work, but tell us a little bit about how you got into this because the way that you've crafted your practice, it's designed really differently from mainstream therapists. You're not, you know, taking insurance. You're not working in 45 minute sessions or even 90 minute sessions you're doing things differently. You're out of the box. So tell us a little bit about how this design came to be. Yeah, so it all started where most of us therapists find ourselves stuck in an agency somewhere where someone tells me what to do. And, you know, that kind of got a little old. I loved my job. But it came down to when I had my first born, I asked for, you know, the, the 12 weeks FMA, FMLA leave. And unfortunately, the agency was unable to honor that request. And so I quickly turned in my notice and I opened my personal practice the next day. And I did the nine to five. I did the meeting clients 45 minutes at a time. I used to take insurance. But what I found is that I was always distracted by, you know, the other eight mental envelopes I had in my head about the clients I was seeing that day. And, you know, couples as well come in and it's just not enough time. And so what I really did was it was actually after um, my level one Gottman training. 
I took a, it was a four hour drive home. And during that time, I realized how simple I could condense the Gottman approach into two days. And I toy with it. I play with it. I've spent you know, a little over five years really refining it. And I mean, it's still being refined every day. But it all started because I couldn't fit into what was expected of me as a young therapist. I had to do something different for myself and for my family. And, and thankfully, my family has been very supportive in that as well to give me this opportunity to, to really go this direction. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in some ways, this new direction that you're going in, you know, you're also a stay-at-home dad. I'm imagining that means that your partner is off at work. And so there, it allows you some different balance in here around how you design your life and your family. Oh, yeah, certainly. Uh, so when we, when I left my agency job, you know, obviously there's a lot of chaos there. I had the insurance, I had you know all the stability, and, and my wife at the time was building her career. And really, by all kinds of fortune, we were lucky enough that her career took off very quickly. And now she has one of the best you know insurance benefits packages in the state. And so we're able to. Well, I am selfishly allowed to dream big because there's no real pressure on me. I get to stay home and play with my kids all day. I get to build my my practice the way I want to, not because I have to pay, you know, this bill this week, but because I want to do it this way and I really want to empower the couple that I see. It's kind of delicious. It's kind of like a really great opportunity that you get to do that. I'm not sure that all of our listeners are in that position. But for those that are, it's a nice place to dream into. And I think that even those who were more limited, I think what this conversation is really bringing up is that even under all the pressures of having to provide for ourselves and our families and all of that type of stuff, there's permission to find a way to do it that works for you. Yeah, that's really where it took off for me. I always had dreams, but my wife saying, honey, go for it. And I said, all right, here we go. And the benefit, I want to make sure I reiterate this part, though, the, the benefit of my you know, circumstance where I don't have to work and such is that I get to make all the mistakes as I really refine how to make this model work. And that's really what I'm trying to do is create a model that others can replicate and make their own. And so I've already made the mistakes. That's the luxury of this. So some of the therapists I work with now, you know, they have a full practice and they're just trying to you know, add another feature to it or you know, maybe go down in how many days they work. And we're able to recreate this model in a way that works for them because they're not making those mistakes. They don't have to, to worry about that. At least the same mistakes I did. I love that <laughs> because I totally find that, you know, well, some of my best learning has come out of the pivots I've made after falling on my face. And as a parent, I know that that's how my children learn too. It's just, it's human nature. We learn not by doing things right all the time, but through failure. Failure is a piece of the game. So I love that you're incorporating that. And I I wonder if you could maybe share with us, what are some of the mistakes you've learned along the way? And what have you learned from them? Like, what are the pivots that you've made because of the mistakes? Yeah, I can't say that I've learned from this one. I still make it every day. But the first thing I had to really realize is that every couple that called me isn't going to think my approach is absolute wonderful. Yeah. There's a lot of educating the clientele. My first phone call with each couple that calls me interested is about an hour long where I'm educating them as to the benefits and, and drawbacks to each model. 
And so there's a lot of time in that. But when I first started, I just expected that every phone call, every person would be like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. Let's sign up today. But it's really not that way in my experience. I do get a ton of calls now that I've kind of made a name, you know, for myself in my area and region. But uh, it took a little, took a little while uh, to do that. How long? How long was mistake. a while? Like, are we talking six weeks? Are we talking six years? What What are we talking about in regards to a while? All right. Well, again, we have to keep in mind that I was also building my private practice at the same time. So all those growing pains that every one of us goes through and getting clientele and finding the right marketing resources and such, I was going through as well. And it just so happens that, you know, in my experience, I'd probably say only 10% of the calls that I get are someone that really is interested and capable of doing a weekend retreat. And so that's what I mean. It took me a long time to really build up. And for me, once I started advertising, it took four weeks for me to get my first client, my first retreat client. And then each year I basically doubled. Now I don't take very many because I focus a lot on my workshops. That's something I'm building right now. And so I probably only see between 10 and 16 weekends a year. Mm -hmm. Now that's, you know, for some, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't really do that. Well, I also have other streams because I don't believe I can do only one thing. Right. I have to be kind of multifaceted, if you will. But it did. It took about a year for me to get frequent requests for my retreats. And I learned a lot on, on the copy that I put on the website and my sales speech, you know, in the elevator, you know, that 30 second speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I learned a lot that way. The learning process is huge. Mm-hmm. What other gems can you share? Like, what would you teach to clinicians who you, whom you consult with? What kind of things do you guide them through? Well, the first thing I always ask is, where are you now in your practice? And where do you want to go? Because, you know, you have a, an amazing practice. I don't even know the specifics of yours, but I know it's amazing because you're doing it and you enjoy it. And I'm not here to make other therapists do what I do. I'm here to give you permission, as you mentioned earlier, to follow that dream. So using that, I like to use your strengths. I like to use your already established practices, if you will, and just figure out how to enhance and incorporate these retreats. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are the biggest takeaways in your life from doing your business this way from offering retreats how has this enhanced your life uh, well the first thing that comes to mind is that it definitely enhances my marriage Tell me more. yeah sure of course <laughs> i used to do you know eight clients a day i would get home and i was exhausted i had so much you know client baggage that i was working with i was not good at self-care but when i do this weekend retreat there's only one mental file that I open in my mind and it is emotionally exhausting and physically exhausting, but it is so rewarding to see the couple make the strides that usually takes six or more months in just two days that I find them more exhilarating or exhilarated. And when I get home, I'm always able to really show appreciation to my wife for all she puts up with in me and the challenges that, you know, I know she goes through as I balance being a dad, a husband, and a budding practice owner. And so it's kind of really put things in perspective for me where 
every weekend, whether it's a workshop or a retreat, I'm reminded of all those things that are research-based, that are evidence-based, that are just working for me personally. And so it's kind of a refresher every few weeks, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Are there any major things that you want to make sure we hit on about the work that you do, about the consulting that you're offering, or the way that these retreats go down? Things that you think other clinicians might need to know, or even people who are interested in coming on one of these retreats might need to know? Sure. First, I think it would be important for either a clinician or a potential client to learn more about what is expected and to really understand that it is a journey. In order for a clinician to run retreats and intensives the way that you're talking about, or for potential clients to look at them, what should people be looking at? Like, What are the expectations that they should come into this with? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the answer for both clients and clinicians is the same, that this process is a journey. For clinicians, it's not just, let me put something on paper, have a client, and then never change it again. It's a constant evolving of really analyzing what works, what doesn't work for you, for your clientele, the problem base. I've never had one weekend that was the same as another. Uh, you know, after five years of doing this, it's always different. And I think that's very important. It begs the question, are you using a curriculum or are you showing up and following the direction that the clients present? Both. The Gottman assessment process is kind of structured for us. And I find that using that, both the online written assessments plus the in-person narratives that we do, that structured beginning to Saturday morning really sets my couple at ease. But then once we hit that point, every weekend is completely different. Every couple is completely different. We tailor it to their goals, their concerns, their strengths and their weaknesses. We really build on what each couple presents with. Yeah. I'm thinking about how my work unfolds as well. And to date, I've done a lot of extended sessions with couples. I haven't offered retreat style stuff yet, but I have offered retreats quite often for therapists. And it's one of the things that's come out of the retreats I've offered for therapists where they're visioning and they're, they're doing a lot of work around what their dreams are, is that they want to include their partners. <laughs> so yeah. one of the retreats that I have planned, I think for October of 2018, is a retreat for therapists with their partners. It's a visioning and dreaming retreat that, that they get to do together. And I've had a lot of couples approaching me for intensives. So I'm dreaming into kind of how to do that stuff. People who want to even come see me from out of state and the retreat center that I work with quite often and I are sitting down next month or later this month actually to kind of dream up a package of how we might put it all together. And I've been sitting here dreaming into how would I structure each day? How long do I need to spend with the couples? What other kinds of activities can I include for them? So all of this stuff is kind of mulling about in my brain and you know, I'm sure it's going to keep transforming and changing. And I certainly have my methods and my ways of doing assessments, as I know every single one of us does. And I think it's important that as we start leaning into something that we do, we do it in a way that works for us and that we continue to show up as ourselves as therapists in the room. But I'm curious what kind of advice you might have for someone like me who's leaning into this new direction. Well, first, let me back up just a moment and really commend you 
for what you're trying to do. I love your dream as, as you briefly described it. And it just goes to show how it's a retreat, but it's so much different than my format. And that's the beauty of it is you can take an idea and make it your own. And I think that that is the key to how to structure each day. I mean, you're a therapist, you know what it takes the average client to work through certain things, you know, timing or exercises or whatnot. And so that's the beauty of it is you're already doing it. All we have to do is figure out how to condense it into your time frame. And so for me, my weekends are spread out into either 60 or 90 minute blocks of time. And during that time, we kind of structure different goals or exercises, you know, and we really build on the presenting problem and how the couple is overcoming it. You know, for you, it sounds like you have this idea, probably a very big idea of all you want to include in this time. And just being able to, you know, format it like your kid's field trip, you know, and trying to figure out, well, what's most important about this vacation? If we go to Disneyland, we want to go see X, Y, and Z. We want to spend some time here. We want to go there. It's the same thing. Maybe not quite as fun as Disneyland. Hopefully it is. I don't know. But you have your goals that you want to achieve with each you know, therapist and partner. And with that, all you have to do is find a rhythm that you can do. The one piece of advice I would give you is not to try and do too much in a short period of time, meaning don't fit too much into a two-hour afternoon. Leave some room for client direction. Mm, I think that's great. That was one mistake I made. Yeah. Early on, I tried to structure, okay, it's 12.15, we have to do this. It's 12.45, we need to switch topics. It's, and it just does not work that way in my experience. I'm giggling a little bit right now <laughs> because I heard you also talking about, you know, structure this the way you would a family vacation. And I'm thinking, well, I have to follow the same advice there too. I can't overstructure a family vacation. So, yeah. you know, that's really nice advice. Thank you for that, Adam. Of course. Yeah. yeah. My own kind of pulling things together is definitely a concoction of a lot of things that I've been doing that have been working. You know, I'm looking into whether it's client facing or it's clinician facing, what I'm learning is that a lot of my work is driven by the experiences that I curate for people and helping them drop into those experiences. Mm. So that's where I'm leaning in all of my work. And there's a lot more retreats and intensives coming up because it's something I really enjoy doing. But it's also, it's a leap, right? It's a leap outside of that private practice model. And whenever we take that leap, I find that it's kind of like when you jump off of a cliff, right? You're standing on the edge of that cliff and like you might have this mix of excitement and fear and one of them is probably going to be bigger than the other. Most certainly. Right? And so I feel like whenever we make a leap in our practices and we do something different, especially if it's outside of the box that we've been told this is how you practice, it's like we're jumping off a cliff. And I'm still falling and I'm loving it now, but I didn't always. You know, they talk about imposter syndrome in our Mm -hmm. field. Yeah, a lot. And yeah, I have struggled a great deal with that, you know, because when you have this brand new, fantastic idea that no one else has heard about, or, you know, at least people in your circle don't know anything about, it was difficult for me because of all this judgment of, oh, you're not doing things the way you're supposed to. You're never going to get non-insurance clients. 
and you know all these woe is me kind of outlooks and it took me a while and even today i still ask myself you know already like last night i or yesterday i had a one-day intensive and i asked myself the whole drive up like i went to a new place last night and i said like oh my gosh am i ready am i going to do this and they're trusting me with their marriage they're trusting me with their money with their dreams with all this stuff am i going to blow it and 10 minutes into our one day intensive i was like oh no i got this here we go and we rolled you know but it was that pre-game jitters if you will for me and i think those pre-game jitters like they're so necessary and i can't stress mm-hmm. this enough i think i probably talk about imposter syndrome on every single episode of the podcast oh yeah because it's such a real experience you know it's that place where we're kind of like Okay, so I'm human and I'm supposed to be an expert. How do I do that? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, that's the interesting thing about the difference between my professional experience and most other therapists is that not only in private practice are we typically isolated, but now you add that complexity of me doing something that no one else in my state does, and all of a sudden I'm, I am all alone. You know, and here I am having to be the expert, you know, having to learn all about it, having to make those mistakes, jump off that cliff, still fall today. And only now it's my hands out. I'm, I hope I'm soaring. I mean, who knows what it feels like. Um, how do you I, manage I'm really that? How do you sit in that space? Like, how do you, so this is where, like, you know, I dive deep. We go a little bit deeper on the podcast than maybe some other podcasts sure. do. But so I want to go inside there with you. I want to know what that inner experience is like, how you manage feeling so isolated and struggling with those like, you know, imposter feelings at the same time. And then being on the other side of it, where like, no, I got this. I'm in my zone. I'm doing good. But, you know, in the in-between space, in between that stuff, how do you sit with that? Well, like most things in my perception, it's cyclical, not linear. And any given day, I feel on top of the world. And any given moment, I'm thrust back down in reality where I feel like I don't know anything. It was very real. And, you know, as a stay-at-home dad, there's also a huge imposter syndrome with that. You know, there's only one other dad at my kid's preschool, you know. Ah, because you're not a mom. Exactly. (laughs) So it's basically, in my experience, entering a world that society or you know small groups don't expect me to be in at least and having to prove myself in in a way and so how I deal with that doubt is really my wife to be honest she is um, doesn't understand a lot of what I do but she's my biggest supporter Mm -hmm. she goes to some of the workshops she and I actually went out to attend one of the Gottman workshops so she could kind of see more and it was so inviting but you know any given day I'm like I'm doing this wrong I'm a horrible dad or I'm a horrible therapist and I'm just getting it lucky so far but then mornings like today where I overheard my now three-year-old out to 24 on his own and we haven't even practiced that high yet and he was just sitting there all quietly I'm like whoa I got this like wow <laughs> and so when I get in with a couple and I see like yesterday 10 minutes and all of a sudden they are engaged and they're looking to me with all kinds of hope. I say, you know what, I got this. I've done this a thousand times, let's do it. And it just shifts that anxiety towards you know, more empowerment. Yeah. 
I'm kind of sitting and just thinking of some of my own experiences where you just kind of took us on a little trip through a lot of different pieces there. We heard about your relationship with your wife and your role as a parent and your role as a clinician, like all of these different pieces. And I know that, you know, I just recently went to a practicum with Terry Real. And as I was sitting in there, I turned to one of my colleagues and I said, I feel like I'm wearing three different hats right now. And I'm listening with all three different hats. I'm, I'm learning with all three different hats. I have the hat of the clinician who's going to be doing this work. I have the hat of the partner who feels like I'm not doing enough in my relationship. And I have the hat of a parent who feels like I have to be fucking up my own children. <laughs> right? And so I think that all of those things, to some extent, they play into how we see ourselves because we're one integrated person and we don't necessarily step into any parts of our life, being a clinician, being a clinician who runs retreats and intensives or a clinician who works on a 45 or 90 minute schedule with their clients once a week and being a person who is in relationships in their lives, whether that's with friends or family members or partners or with their children, all of these different parts of us are all who we are. Often, I think we try to compartmentalize these parts of ourselves and only be a certain part. Yeah. And, you know, Rebecca, hearing you talk about wearing three different hats when you're sitting there learning, that just resonates with me because I was the same way. I felt like I was wearing six different hats. But what I found in. What the three am I missing? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> no joke. With what I found with the clinicians that I work with is that those that are able to not only you know learn the method but also then synthesize it with their life, you know that's higher learning. Uh, it reminds me of Bloom's taxonomy of learning. Oh, tell me about that. I'm not familiar with it. Sure. So, well, Bloom's taxonomy of learning. There's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you will. It's, it's this pyramidal form. I believe they've adapted it in recent years. But when I learned about it, it was this pyramidal form on how we actually learn something. And the first stage is remembering. So like my son this morning, being able to remember how to count to 24. That was a very basic level of learning. The next level is comprehending. Once he realizes why there's 24 apples there and why that means 24, now he's understanding even more. Then being able to apply, apply to different concepts. You know, there's 24 apples. Well, hey, look, there's 24 oranges. And then we analyze, analyze why do we count to 24? You know, why are we doing what we're doing? For me, why do we have to sit in what insurance tells us to do? And that was what it was for me. And through that analyzing process, I was able to realize that there's a better way. The next level is synthesizing, where we take two different ideas and merge them together to create something brand new. And that's where you are at, as you're wearing three different hats, trying to figure out how to make those worlds intertwine and, and thrive through it. It's amazing. The last level is evaluating, where... Now you have this new idea, you can't just stop. You have to make sure it still works. You have to research it, look at outcomes. You have to build and evolve. And that's where I'm at, is with my process of the retreats, is trying to find what works. Well, could this work better? Could this not? 
And so wearing different hats is important. And you're taking it a step further because you're also thinking about this yes. is what works for me. How could this exactly. work for anybody else? Like your idea on your you know, therapist retreat is phenomenal. I had not even thought about that. But that's a whole new synthesizing that you're doing. And once you go through it, you'll evaluate it and make it even better than it was the first time. Right. And, you know, it is coming out of something that I did and I did rather successfully in regards to holding a retreat for therapists, them asking me for this next level. So I find that that's another really important piece is that we need to listen of what's being asked, right? That we may have, and, and this happens to me all the time in my business, that I think I have some great ideas and I'm planning something and I have something coming forth. And then my clients turn to me and say, okay, but this is what I want. And it's a different direction and it makes total sense. Yes. You said it perfectly. You have to listen to what is wanted and what is needed and then provide that void. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is true in relationships too, right? I mean, as I think about where couples get stuck and what my work is with couples, it's when they're not listening to each other that they get kind of caught in a deadlock. And when they start listening, they're like, oh, wait, yeah, I could do that. That's no big deal. That's what you need for me? Okay, yeah. I don't mind picking up my dirty socks. Sure. If that's going to make you happy and give me more sex, you got it. You are absolutely right. It's just this new clarity. It's not even understanding in my experience. It's more clarity that this is what is needed of me or asked of me yeah. and the willingness to do that. That's just amazing. Yeah. Oh, this has been so fun, Adam. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we kind of wrap up today's call? Yeah. The only piece of advice that I hope that anyone listening takes away is that you don't ever have to feel stuck. You don't ever have to feel like you have to do something because it's expected. If you have a dream, follow it, whether it's retreats or a new niche or you want to do a new training or you have this great idea, whatever it is, just do it. As you said, Rebecca, just jump off that cliff and you'll be amazed at where you can land. All right. So I have to ask. How do you do it? I mean, doing it, that's where so many of the clinicians that I talk to, they get paralyzed there. So, you know, I have my little tricks up my sleeve and they're not even tricks so much as sometimes it's just a matter of slowing down and sitting with all the uncomfortable feelings. But what kind of advice do you give people who are feeling stuck there? When we first look at this one very important question, what's the worst thing that could happen? And if that worst thing that can happen is I lose a few hours a week in thinking and designing this new dream, if I lose a little bit of money in doing it, if I look like a fool and fail miserably, none of those are reasons to me. What's the worst that it could happen? Well, if it's not the end of the world, then it's still worthy of, of trying. And I think that you know, the worst thing that can happen is not trying. Everyone listening, everyone out there owes it to themselves. If they have this inner voice that says, what else? listen to it. Mm, thank you for that. Adam, how can our listeners find you? Where's a good place for them to reach you? Yeah, you can go to my website, smithycounseling.com. That's S-M-I-T-H-E-Y counseling.com. And you can find a wealth of information from a client viewpoint. And I'm also revamping now my uh, clinician's portal. So it'll be new information coming soon, but you can call or email me with that information and customize whatever you need. And I'm here to help you in whatever platform anyone needs. 
Thank you so much. We'll include a link to your site in our show notes as well. So thank you so much, Adam. We've really enjoyed this opportunity to connect with you and get to know you. Of course, it was a wonderful experience. Thank you for inviting me. Let's definitely keep this conversation going in the Pobscast community on Facebook. I'd love to hear about what outside-the-box ideas you've been dreaming of. And please do email us at practiceofbeingseen at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in working with me, there's a link to click in our show notes to find out more about my therapy and mentorship services or my private couples intensive retreats. And if you want to dive deeply into building conscious relationships with your beloved, consider sharing an experiential gift of deeper connection and intimacy over Valentine's week at our Divine Mirrors Valentine's Couples Retreat that I'm co-facilitating at Menla Resort. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the support of my amazing behind-the-scenes team, Nicole Stevenson and Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Farris Jr. and Sr., produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show and will join us next week for another episode of The Pobscast, brought to you by Connectfulness.